Well, good evening again, and welcome to Sunday night service, and happy Easter to you and to your family. Uh, I'm sure for, for all of us, we're kind of thinking tonight, like, man, this Easter has certainly been different than most years are. There's been no rush in the morning to get out the door, to get to church. There's not been any family gatherings. There's not been any big gatherings outside for kids or families to play together. Um, but thank God that even in the midst of all the changes and the uniqueness of this season that we still do get to worship and serve and honor a risen Savior. Well, my wife and I uh, find ourselves in a unique season right now as well. We are actually expecting the birth of our first child in a little over a month time from right now. Back when we had first found out in the fall, we were obviously very excited. And then we were thinking, oh, hey, what great timing it will be. The end of spring, the start of summer, and what a, what a great time it will have. We'll be able to get outdoors a lot with, with our baby and do a lot of stuff outside. Of course, who would have thought in the fall that we would be having our child in the middle of a pandemic, right? And some of this has, has affected us all in different ways. I know just a small thing for us even this week is as my wife went in and had an ultrasound, which I've been able to go fortunately to every single appointment she's had. But now with the restrictions at the hospital, I wasn't even allowed in the hospital this week as we had to, to just drop her off and she went in and was able to take video. Um, but another thing, just how life has changed. For us, it's been a lot of fun as we are anticipating and getting ready for the arrival of our baby. And there's a, a thing that, that people uh, keep emphasizing to us over and over again, how it's, it's so much fun, right, in, in the hospital. And they said, reality hits you when you get in the car and you head home and you think to yourself, there's no returning this child. This is ours. And obviously, in anticipation of that event, my wife and I know that it will be, I think, one of the most defining and one of the, the biggest moments of our lives, right? Having your first child is a defining moment that you'll remember forever. Well, the, tonight on Easter, we're going to talk about not just a defining moment for some of our lives, but the defining moment in all of history which of course is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the culmination of all of history. Everything beforehand looked to it and everything after the resurrection looks back and finds its completion and its purpose in the resurrection. We're going to do this tonight, not by looking at the resurrection accounts that take place in the gospels, but actually by looking later in at the New Testament, as, as those writers looked back on the resurrection of Jesus, many of them 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, and the impact that they see the resurrection on for having for our faith. And so tonight we're going to look at four results of the resurrection, four results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first result of the resurrection that we're going to look at tonight is the resurrection grounds salvation. The resurrection grounds salvation. And what I mean by this is that there is no salvation. It's impossible for us to have salvation as Bible speaks about it if the resurrection did not take place. 
In Romans chapter 10, Paul, who writes such rich theology in the book of Romans, probably the most theologically rich and dense book in the entire New Testament. He summarizes kind of what it means at nearly about two thirds of the way through his book, what it means to place your faith in Jesus here in Romans chapter 10. It says this in verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, look at this, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now those things go together and it's clear here that they're not two separate actions, but that a belief in your heart leads to a confession with your mouth. But notice the sum of all that Paul has talked about in the book of Romans. What is it that we put our full belief other words that you could use here? It's all coming from the same word belief, our faith, our trust. What is it that we're staking our entire lives, all of our trust on? It's that God raised Jesus from the dead. And by placing our faith in that, we will be saved. He says this, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so these two actions are called on. Confession, which again flows from belief. And then belief, trust, faith in the resurrection. See, what what the Bible is calling for, what it means to have salvation, moves beyond just a cognitive understanding of things. Sometimes we may say, well, yes, I believe in God. And what we may be saying is I have a cognitive understanding and a a cognitive thing that I would say God exists. When, When the apostle Paul writes here of saying that we believe in the resurrection, he's not just saying that it's an event that we are convinced of its historicity and that it actually happened. What he's saying, and I love how he puts it, it's believe in your hearts. It's an abandonment of total trust and reliance and dependence upon God that this happened. Don't confuse belief in the existence of God with full reliance and trust on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simply put, When you look at the evidence throughout all of the New Testament, throughout all of scripture, if there is no resurrection, we have no salvation. If there is no resurrection, we have no salvation. See, we've been in this time of COVID-19 learning a lot of new words and expressions Right? Statements like flattening the curve. Two months ago, no one knew what we were talking about if you would have said that. Now everyone knows. Social distancing sounded maybe like an issue that someone has that they need to recover from, whereas now we realize that it's a strategy to help not spread disease. Another lingo that we've learned recently has been the use of essential services. Right, as stay-at-home orders have been put really all over the world and certainly here in Illinois for several weeks now, we've learned what are essential services and what aren't. Sometimes there's been debates amongst people over what is really considered essential or not. I remember many weeks ago when, um, when France went into lockdown and they, their prime minister listed their essential services. I took a screenshot and sent it to a friend because the prime minister specifically pointed out, along with banks, newspapers, grocery stores, that tobacco stores were considered an essential business that was to remain 
open. Now we can debate perhaps over what is essential and some things we would agree on and disagree on. But when it comes to our salvation, the resurrection is in every way an essential component of salvation. If the resurrection is taken out of Christianity, we don't have Christianity anymore. Perhaps the strongest argument for the importance of the resurrection, the most full argument comes from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This entire chapter is given to to focusing on the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. But we're just going to look at these five or six verses here in the middle of Paul's argument. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16 continues, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, get this, your your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is such an astounding passage that Paul really quickly moves through in this line of argumentation about the resurrection. But, but just look, look at it with me for a few minutes again here. He says in verse 14, that if, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. He's looking back in 1 Corinthians 15 to verses 3 to 5, which he just summarized all of what it means to be preached, that Christ was died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. He's saying, if Jesus isn't raised, all of our gospel preaching is gone. It doesn't matter. Second thing, he points out that if Jesus didn't come from the dead, the next thing that fails is our faith. He says that our faith is in vain. Your faith goes away. It doesn't matter if Jesus hasn't come back from the dead. The trustworthiness of the apostles is now gone. You can discount everything that the apostles said if the resurrection didn't take place. Notice he says, we have misrepresented God if this didn't take place. Not only that, but the payment for sins is gone if the resurrection didn't take place. Notice that you are still in your sins if Jesus just died but didn't rise from the dead. We have no no hope for those who have died before us, right? He says there that that those who have fallen asleep in Christ have just perished. They're just gone. We, We lose that. And lastly, if the resurrection hasn't taken place, We are people with no hope. I love that expression. We are to be of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, salvation is not possible. The resurrection is not just an add-on to the rest of Jesus's life, not even just an add-on to the cross. The resurrection is fundamental. If you take it away, everything about what it means to be a Christian, all of salvation quickly falls apart. The second result 
of the resurrection that we're going to look at tonight is the resurrection brings life. The resurrection brings life. Now, I know this kind of makes sense, right? Because that's literally what resurrection means is, is to be brought to life. But the Bible is clear that new life in Christ is only granted to us if the resurrection is indeed true. In the book of Romans chapter eight, it says this, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He's there not talking about literally your physical body, but your body is the punishment for sin. The result of sin, you are dead in your sin. He then continues though, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his own spirit who dwells in you. What the apostle Paul is saying here is this, that your life in Jesus is only possible if Jesus himself has been brought back to life from the dead. See, why does the resurrection matter so much to us? I think sometimes we misunderstand, we miscalculate what we actually have needed from God. And if we don't understand our status before God apart from Jesus, then we don't see why the resurrection is so important. See, it says there in Romans chapter 8, and it says in other places in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 is another great example that we aren't just lost in our sin. We aren't just damaged goods because of sin. The Bible says we are dead because of our sin. We are dead in our sin. We can't self-help our way to salvation. There's nothing that a dead person can do to bring about life within them. In the same way, there is nothing a person who is spiritually dead can do to bring their status to life. We so often overestimate our own goodness, our own standing and status before God that we have on our own. When it comes to our spiritual condition apart from Jesus, stop thinking of yourself as just someone who's in need of some help. You need to go to the ER or if it's really bad, you need to go to the ICU. No, Our spiritual status apart from Jesus isn't that we're in the hospital. It's we're in the graveyard. We are already dead. And because of that, no amount of our own efforts can bring us back to life. This is why the resurrection matters so much because Jesus doesn't come just to change our lives, but to bring us new life. We need the resurrection because only from a resurrection can something go from dead to alive? Only from the resurrection can life be brought from what is dead. And we find ourselves dead in our sin. And it's only when Jesus goes from death to life that by being united to him, we have any hope for that happening for us as well. The apostle Peter put it this way, who was one of Jesus's disciples. He said this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
We have this being born again. We have hope. Why? Because of what the resurrection has done for us. So how do we get this new life? Well, it says, Paul had said there in Romans chapter 10, it's we confess and we believe. See, our world is filled with things that we could do to try and help ourselves. I went back this week and looked at the most sold books in 2019 and saw so many copies selling hundreds of thousands of copies, which basically have somewhat of the same message. Just try harder or maybe embrace your own beliefs. Don't care about what others think. And by all of these, you'll find true happiness and meaning in life. My friends, you don't just find yourself sick apart from Jesus. You find yourself dead. And so to find life in Christ is to admit the gravity of your situation. Admit that you are dead in your sin. And by placing your trust in Jesus saying you died in my place for my sin, but you didn't just die in my place. You rose from the dead and defeated death. And when we place our trust, not in anything that we could do or have done, but entirely, not just part on Jesus, part on what I've done, but when we place our entire trust and faith on Jesus, what he has done, that he defeated death, that he rose from the dead, that's when we have new life. We need this because we are dead in our sin. Jesus didn't come to this earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise from the dead to simply change our lives. Jesus came to give us brand new life. And that life is only possible in the resurrection. The third result of the resurrection is that the resurrection gives us assurance. The resurrection gives us assurance of salvation. It says this in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ, he's here not talking about just the physical symbol of baptism, but about the whole experience of salvation. Those who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. That's what the going under signifies. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What Paul's saying is this, is just as we were united to Christ in his death and we identified with him on the cross that he took our place, just as Jesus rose from the dead, we now have confidence that we too will have that newness of life that we can rise from the dead because Jesus himself has. You can think of it this way. As long as Jesus lives, your salvation in him is secure. As long as Jesus lives, according to the Bible, you can be confident in your salvation. See, believers can have confidence. We can have full assurance in the fact that we have salvation. Now, sometimes this could come across perhaps as arrogance or as thinking pridefully of ourselves, but it's actually not arrogant for a believer to have confidence in their salvation. 
See, we aren't saying that we have confidence in our salvation because of anything that we've done. Certainly, if that's the basis of your confidence, number one, you're wrong. And number two, that is arrogance. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have confidence in salvation, not because of what we've done, but we have confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can have full assurance of salvation because our salvation does not depend on our ability to follow rules, to follow commands. Our salvation depends on this truth. Did Jesus die and come back from the dead? If that is true and we believe in it, then our salvation is secure. See, that's why having assurance of salvation is actually a sign of humility because it's showing that you're not depending on any of your own efforts, but you're fully relying on Jesus for your salvation. Now this need for confidence, for assurance of salvation is intrinsic. It's deep inside each and every one of us. And I want you to know that today you can have this security of salvation in your life through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I remember, I think it was back in college or maybe it was in grad school when I first came across this chart, which if you've studied really any of the sciences, the social sciences at all, you know, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Some of them, the most common one has five. There's other versions that actually have eight kind of things. And his, his kind of philosophy, which has been taught for, I believe, about 70 or 80 years now, is that kind of each one slowly builds upon the other. Of course, there is some overlap, but the fundamental things must be first met. So at the top, you kind of have thriving in life. You have this importance for a relationship. But he starts at the bottom with physiological needs. We would maybe just think that as physical needs. So a person needs to eat, they need to drink, they need a place to sleep. If they're a child, they need a parent in their life, a, a basic need. Notice what he says is the second most important thing though that a person needs to thrive in life is safety, is security. And he writes and talks a lot about our need for physical safety and our need for emotional safety as well. But I want us to think that not only is a need for physical and emotional safety a fundamental need, but I think a need for spiritual security is fundamental in our lives. See, if we're not spiritually secure in who we are in Jesus, so much of our lives will be spent trying to earn things, trying to live a certain way that frankly, Jesus just doesn't call us to do. We're trying to live out certain things, achieve certain things that Jesus has already done and we don't need to live that way. And you can have that ultimate security and safety in Christ. It's by placing your faith in him and in his death and resurrection for us. And so that's why we can say with confidence on where we're going, that our salvation is secure Because as long as Jesus is alive, our salvation is assured. And we know that Jesus has defeated death and he has risen from the dead. Spiritual security is only found in Christ. The fourth result of resurrection is this, is that the resurrection demands surrender. The resurrection demands surrender of our lives. 
Second Corinthians puts it this way. The love of Christ controls. Some translations say the love of Christ compels us. It pushes us on. It moves us forward. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus, has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But who are we to live for? But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Another way you can think of it is the apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians. If, if then you have been raised and he's not saying there, well, maybe you have, but this is kind of since you've put your salvation, since you've put your trust in Jesus, if then you have been raised with Jesus, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. See, the resurrection does more than just change our future home one day. The resurrection certainly does that. It changes our future trajectory. It gives us eternal life, which includes all of eternity. But get this, the resurrection changes life now. Eternal life is not something that happens once we die. Eternal life enters into this world the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus. The resurrection doesn't just change the future. The resurrection changes your present. It changes today for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. See, too often we've misunderstood the demands that God has on our life, that the resurrection itself calls for. Well, I think wherever we find ourselves, nearly all of us have spent a lot more time at home the last three to four weeks. And at least here in Illinois, we know for sure that the next three weeks or so, we're going to continue to spend a lot of time at home. And maybe like has happened at my family, at your home, you've been playing a lot more games together. And just maybe one of the games you've played is the classic board game, Monopoly. Monopoly. I don't know who decided that this would be a great game for kids just to learn that the rich just get richer while everyone else struggles. But for some reason, we love the game Monopoly. Now, there's a point though in the game Monopoly as you're going along, you can buy properties, you get cards, but then at some point it always happens, you roll the dice and you land on the go to jail spot. And you have to go to jail, but wait, when you get to jail, you've got a get out of jail free card. And you can just go to jail and you can just slide right out because you've got this special card that you don't have to sit in there and pay your time. Too often, we think of Christianity as us just getting, instead of our get out of jail free card, it's a get out of hell free card. And we treat life like we can go around living however we want because we've got this card in our back pocket that when our hour is called, we can just slap it down on the table and say, ha, now it's my turn. I get out of hell free. Jesus, let me in. But when we understand the resurrection, we understand that it's not just something for the future, but it demands surrender of our lives today. That passage in Corinthians said, because of the resurrection, that our lives are to be compelled and controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. That's not an option. That's what it demands of us right now. What does it look like we should be asking in the midst of these times we love, not just to protect myself, not to look out for me, 
but what does it look like that the love of Christ would compel me to love my neighbor, the people around me, those who are continuing to work and maybe put in dangerous situations to help others? What does it look like to have the love of Christ compel us to love others when so often it's easy just to focus on protecting ourselves? Or maybe this, what does it look like there in Colossians chapter three, the challenge twice, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things above. What would it look like for in this time that God has given us where the life of the pace of life, excuse me, has changed dramatically for a lot of us. What would it look like in this season to set our minds on Christ? What would it look like if instead of our phone and our Netflix and our Disney plus usage just going way up, if instead our exposure to scripture opened our lives as well. I love it in the daily devotionals that we've posted each day this last week on our YouTube and Instagram that that one of our pastors said this, that this idea of wallpapering your life with God's word. What if during this time where we're home so much, instead of focusing on all these other things, we wallpapered our lives with God's word. If we set our minds, not just on the next series to binge watch, but we set our mind on scripture and on prayer. And we took advantage of this unique season that we find ourselves in by drawing closer in intimacy with Jesus Christ. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a pinnacle event, but the pinnacle events of all of history. I don't know where you stand today, but I know for me that when people, if you were to be here today, which there's literally no one else in this room, there's just one or two other people here. But if you were here and you were to ask me in person, well, why are you a Christian? Why would you give your life to following that? There could be a lot of really good reasons that I could have for you. But for me, the number one reason is this, is there was a man who lived nearly 2000 years ago, who called, who predicted his own death, resurrection, and then pulled it off. He wasn't just a man, he also claimed to be God. And by doing that, he proved that he was. And anyone who can predict their own death, their resurrection and pull it off, I don't know about you, but for me, that's all the evidence I need. That's more than enough to give my life to being convinced that that person is who they say they are and committing my life to following them. The resurrection changes everything and it can change your life today if you would place your faith in it for salvation. Jesus, we do thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that nearly 2000 years ago, On a hillside outside Jerusalem, you died on a cross. But just a few days later, you defeated death and you rose from the grave. And that because of what you did, because of the resurrection, we have life. We have hope. We have a future. We have salvation. God, I pray that the resurrection for for those of us who have placed our faith in it, that it wouldn't just be a future change, but it would be a present demand on our lives that we would change our lives because of what you have done for us. God, that we would find ourselves secure in you. God, I pray for anyone who's worshiping with us tonight, who hasn't placed their faith in you. God, that today you would help them to see that if they simply confess with their mouth, 
believe in their hearts that you were raised from the dead, that they too can have that salvation, that newness of life that you speak of. We thank you for Jesus and we celebrate and worship and glorify him for all that he has done for us. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen.